All right, so we are in week four of this series that we've been doing called The Praying God. And the reason it's called The Praying God is because we see that Jesus, who's fully God and fully human, comes to earth and he prays. And that's confusing until you realize that, that we do believe in one God, but we believe in a triune God. So we believe that God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And so we see that Jesus has to be in relationship with Father and Spirit. Like that, that's, that's part of, of who he is. And so we've been exploring and looking at these different ways and uh, places that, that Jesus has prayed and what sorts of prayers he's prayed. And so week one, we kind of just saw that that prayer for Jesus was talking to his father and how much that is needed for us and how much we, sh- we just need to jump into praying to God and talking to God. Week two, we, we asked the question, why did Jesus pray? And again, we saw that was built out of the character of who he is. As the son of God, he couldn't help but pray. As the son of God, he couldn't help but be dependent on his father and on the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus prayed because it was part of who he was. He was dependent on the Father and the Spirit. And then last week, we looked at how did Jesus pray. And Vince, he summed it up for us by saying uh, he, Jesus prayed with humble hope. That Jesus was willing to, to limit himself in, in, into human flesh and pray to his Father, but hopeful because he knew that his Father was bringing the kingdom he had a hope of what God was doing. And so today we're going to look at the question, when did Jesus pray? When did Jesus pray? My dad, growing up, he, if he went to our church, we'd call him a prayer warrior. At the churches he's in, he often is called and labeled a prayer warrior. I don't know where that term came from, but uh, some, somewhere in evangelicalism. And so he, he prays a lot, but it's really true about my dad. When I'd see the winds to my dad's prayers, I would just see more of his heart. Almost every morning going to school, he'd pray over us kids, and, and it was usually a similar prayer, but he would just pray for our, our day. And I, I just, because he did it every morning, it helped me to see how dedicated he was in his relationship to the Lord, and how much he knew that the Lord was working in our time and place. Um, I'd often even go in at, late at night into his den. He had this little den area or office area, and I'd, I'd find him just prostrate on the ground praying. And so the winds to my dad's prayer, when, if someone asked me as a kid, when did your dad pray, I would have all these answers, because I would know these moments, and it showed me part of who he was and who he, how he views God. And, and I think the wins to Jesus' prayers, they do show us who Jesus is. But I actually think the wins, and I'm saying W-H-E-N, so hear that for the rest of the sermon. The wins to Jesus' prayers actually, I think, show us who we are. Here's what I mean. As Jesus, he's, he's fully God, he's fully man. He's 100% God, he's 100% human. And so Jesus can't help but live out his human life the way humanity was meant to. And so when we look at the winds to Jesus' prayers, we're actually seeing what does it mean to have a human prayer life? 
How can I have a more uh, accurate prayer life, a, more, a prayer life that's more like how God originally intended for creation? And so we're going to see that today. We're going to see that the wins to Jesus' prayers show us what it means to be truly human in our prayer life. But then we're also going to see the wins to Jesus' prayers are going to show us what, what does our prayer life look like in a broken and sinful world? What does that look like for us? And I think Jesus' prayers and when he uh, had prayers show us that too. And so this is kind of where we're going today. There's going to be these four different uh, ways to answer when did Jesus pray. And the first way that we're going to answer it is going to be kind of this general characteristic that I think really describes the whole of Jesus' prayer life. It describes and answers well, when did Jesus pray? And it's a little bit more general. Then there's going to be three more specific wins to Jesus' prayers. We're going to see that when certain things were going on, Jesus would pray. And so we're going to spend some time on that. And in each one of those categories, in the first category and the three more specific categories, we're going to say, what does that mean for us? If Jesus is, is truly showing us what it means to be human in our prayer life, what does that mean for our prayer lives? All right, and so we're going to be going through a lot of verses today, just to warn you. And the reason is, I want us to look at Jesus' prayer lives, prayer life. I want us to answer the question, well, when did Jesus pray? I don't want us to be confused by that. So let's hop into this first major characteristic that I think answers the question, when did Jesus pray? The first major characteristic is this, is Jesus' prayer life had intentional rhythms. Jesus' prayer life had intentional rhythms. So this is what it means. I think that Jesus took intentional time, and I think it was daily, to pray. Jesus set out intentional times each day to pray to his Father and the Spirit. Let's look at some of those regular intervals that we can see in Scripture. Mark 1, 35 says this, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now remember, Pastor John from Peoria taught us a a few weeks ago that Mark 1 is an introduction to who Jesus is and the sort of person that he is. And so in verse 35, when we see that Jesus wakes up early to pray, I don't think this was out of the ordinary for Jesus. I think this was something he often did, and that's why Mark made a note of it early on in chapter 1. And so Jesus would wake up early in the morning and pray. Luke 5, 16, another place. But he, this is Jesus, he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So in Luke 5, 16, Jesus, it says he went to places, plural. There wasn't just one place he went to. There were places, plural, meaning that Jesus had a habit. He had a pattern of going out to desolate, quiet places of solitude and praying. Luke 11, 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. Now as I read that verse and passage over and over again to try to figure out what was going on there, I think what was simply going on was 
Jesus was known for praying in this certain place. We don't know what it was. Maybe it was under a tree. Maybe it was the temple. We, we don't know. But Jesus was known to have a pattern of praying in this certain place whenever they were near it. And this might seem silly, but I think it's important to note too, Jesus regularly, I think, prayed before eating. Jesus, uh, in John 6, 11, it says, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to them to, them, to those who were seated. In Luke 24, 30, another time, when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. This, for me, it just shows that Jesus' prayer life wasn't just random. It wasn't just responding to what was going on, although I think that's parts of his prayer life. But his prayer life was intentional. He took intentional time to spend praying. If Jesus took intentional time and he needed intentional time to pray, how much more do we? The answer is a lot more. We, we need intentional time to pray. If Jesus was de- dependent enough on his Father and the Spirit to, to take intentional time to pray, we should as well. Now, I talk to a lot of you, and I know about a lot of your prayer lives, because I, I just ask, and I'll usually say, hey, how's your prayer life? And how the vast majority of you answer this is you usually go, oh, it's, it's actually pretty good, Anthony. All throughout my day, I'm praying. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. Never, never cease praying. That's, you're killing it. I'm like, so like, what, how, what does that look like? Are you taking intentional time to pray? I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I, I don't take intentional time to pray. I can't do that. But just like throughout the day, like if I, if I lost my keys, I'm like, God, where are my keys? And like, if I don't have any money, I'm like, God, please just... <laughs> Help me not buy stuff. And, and, and I have these prayers. Now, listen, I love that you pray that way. I want you to pray that way. That's very, honestly, I think that's childlike faith. I think that's really good for us to pray that way. But if Jesus is truly showing us what it means to be human, I think our prayer lives need to be a little bit more intentional. I think we need to take intentional time to pray. I wish... I wish that our excuse for not taking intentional time to pray, I wish it was something kind of romantic, like, like, oh, you know what? When I take serious time like that, it just feels robotic. It feels legalistic. I, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to limit my relationship with God or my prayer life to those moments. I wish that was our excuse, but our excuse is something different. I think our excuse is we've, we, as a society, and we as the church, unfortunately, have taken on a new identity. All of us in here talk about it. When I was growing up, and there was a sermon illustration that was used in so many sermons growing up, is pastors would say, hey, when someone says, hey, how are you doing? Don't just say fine. And so we kind of railed against this thing in our society and our churches that was saying fine was our, our like, we weren't, aren't really fine all the time. Like, sometimes we're a complete mess and we, won't, we don't tell people. And now I think, that, I think our society and our churches are a little bit more vulnerable, I think even too vulnerable sometimes. And, but there's this new identity that's creeped in when someone says, like, how are you doing? And so if you go up to someone and say, hey, how's it going? What's, how are you doing? What's new? They're like, oh, man, I'm doing, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm busy. I'm really busy. I am busy. 
And I'm like, oh, what's going on? Well, you know, I, I've got to wake up every day. And then, uh, like, like, there's just this, there's this identity of being busy, regardless of if you are. Now, a lot of you are very busy. But I just don't think that should be our identity as Christians. And I think often what happens is I'll go, hey, why don't you have an intentional prayer life? And you'll go, Anthony, I'm too busy for that. Now, listen, Jesus, he wasn't too busy for an intentional prayer life. And I read the Gospels, and I'm like, this guy is busy. He's healing people. John says, man, if we wrote down everything, it probably couldn't fill the books of the world. He's walking everywhere. There's no buses in Jesus' time, I recently found out. (laughs) And so Jesus is busy, but he's not too busy to spend intentional time praying to his Father. And yet we have the audacity to think that, no, but I'm too busy. It's because we've taken it on as as an identity church. I really wish that we would see intentional time in prayer Uh, like brushing our teeth. All right, stay with me. Brushing our teeth, okay? Listen, none of us in this room, and if if you do this, you need to correct some things, but none of us would go a day without brushing our teeth, unless it was like a crazy day or something like that. But you, you almost always, you can say 365 days out of the year, I'm brushing my teeth. And not only am I brushing my teeth once, I'm brushing them twice, Right? When I was a kid in junior high and high school, I didn't care about brushing my teeth, and they started getting jacked up and yellow and cavity prone, and now people are grossed, if they look, uh, grossed out if they see my mouth or whatever. And so I've learned how necessary, after having cavities, brushing my teeth is. And so I have a whole process. You know, I get up, I floss my teeth, and I've always wanted a water pick, but I don't have one. And then I've got this toothbrush that you have to power start like a lawnmower. And then I brush my teeth. And I know a lot of you have a similar process or even a more uh, more, uh, strenuous process than that for brushing your teeth. And I just wish, as unromantic as it sounds, that you would view your prayer life as brushing your teeth that you would see it as so necessary to your spiritual life, that you would feel the cavities of your relationship with God because you're not spending time praying. Now, God, in his goodness and his love and his mercy, he still cares for us. He still protects us from spiritual cavities, so to speak. But I think that if we spent intentional time praying, our, our relationship with the Lord would be so much richer and so I, I do, I wish, I wish we would look at praying intentionally, like brushing our teeth, that it was so necessary. We wouldn't go a day without taking some intentional time to spend in communion with the Lord. So I want to give some tips, because I know a lot of you right now are going, Anthony, but I can't do that. It's impossible, I've tried, I, I forget. And so just three real easy tips for you. The first tip is this, set an alarm in your phone. Set an alarm in your phone, and when it goes off, have it say, pray right now. And then make sure that the time that you set is a time where you'll actually do it. If you're like, oh, I'm going to set it for 4 a.m., and I'm just going to be lying prostrate before the Lord. Maybe don't do that if you don't have a good prayer life. It's probably not going to work out. 
Just, and, and so, but set it for a time where you know that you're usually not doing anything but trying to figure out what those kids and stranger things are doing. They got it. And, and, and when that alarm goes off, just go and pray. Go find a closet. Go outside to solitude. Find a quiet room. Find, maybe you don't have any of that. Sit in your car and just spend some time intentionally praying to the Lord. And, and hear this. Don't, it doesn't have to be an hour. You don't have to be like my dad in the den. You can just spend five to ten minutes. Spend five to ten minutes just praying. And then you go, Anthony, I've tried that, and this is what happens. My mind wanders. I start hearing my own heartbeat. And when people say that to me, I go, are you just like walking throughout your day hearing your heartbeat all the time? I've heard that excuse a lot. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> And and you're like, my mind can't wander. And if only there was like a set prayer I could pray that could help me. Uh, Oh, oh wait, Jesus gave us that. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, if you need help. Jesus gave us a prayer to pray through. And he wasn't saying, hey, just recite this. He was saying, pray this in your own words. Pray like this. And so in the part of the prayer, for instance, where it says, your kingdom come, your will be done, take some time and think, where am I not seeing God's kingdom? Where do I want to see God's kingdom? And say, God, help me with that. God, let me see your kingdom there. Where are you not seeing God's will? Say, God, let your will be done. Let the places I go look like you are there. And take some time to pray through those things in your own words. And it will honestly only take you five to ten minutes. And you don't have to feel guilty afterwards. And I think as you begin to do this intentional praying thing, what you're going to find is it's going to be more and more time that you're spending with the Lord because it's becoming more and more natural for you. Those are my tips. So when Jesus prayed, it was often intentional and it was part of his daily rhythms, I believe. And so I think our Daily rhythms should have prayer. I wish we would see intentional ta- prayer we, that we spend time talking to God. I wish we saw it as necessary because Jesus did. All right, so that was, that's kind of the general characteristic of Jesus' prayer life. Now let's get into three specifics to Jesus' prayer life. Uh, this first one, it sounds strange if we forget that, that Jesus is the triune God of the universe in relationship with the Father and the Spirit. But Jesus would pray when he needed guidance. Jesus would pray when he needed guidance. Part of why I think this is, if you go to Luke chapter 3, you see that Jesus gets baptized. You see right after his baptism, he's praying. And then we have that beautiful moment with the Father and the Spirit speaking over Jesus. And then what we see in Luke 4, it says, that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert. So what I think was happening, I think Jesus knew that this baptism was uh, kind of his uh, coming out party of saying, hey, I'm in the ministry now. This is the start of my ministry. And so he was saying, God, where would you have me go? What should I do? And we see the Holy Spirit said, go out into the desert and talk to Satan. Like, oh, that's weird. And so... (laughs) But I really do think Jesus was listening to guidance there. And there's another place, I think, in Luke chapter 6, where Jesus was praying for guidance, I believe. It's uh, verse 12 and 13. It says this, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. 
And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. I don't think it's a coincidence that Luke put these verses right next to each other and a part of the same story. I think Jesus probably prayed for a lot of things that night on the mountain, but I think one of them was, God, who should my apostles be? God, show me who you want to be the apostles. Remember, Jesus prayed with humble hope. The the humble aspect of Jesus is that he limited himself in such a way that he lives out humanity the way we would if we were without sin. And so Jesus prayed for guidance. I think this freaks people in the church out a lot. I've had conversations with lots of people that go, praying for guidance is a weird thing. There's kind of like kind of these two parties, I think, in the church a lot of times. And the first party is this. It's the person, they pray for guidance for everything. They, they wake up in the morning like, God, what should I do today? But usually it's bigger decisions. Like, God, should I even volunteer at church? Or should I go to this college? Or should I do this or do that? And then they won't do anything until they feel like God is leading them into something. That's kind of the one camp and one category. Then there's this kind of other category where I think a lot of people in the church are in, and they say, man, that's weird. You're lazy. I'm just going to be doing stuff, okay? I'm going to listen to biblical principles. I'm going to be listening to wisdom. I'm going to live out based on that. I don't need to be a weirdo guidance person like you. I have the guidance of the word. And, And my thing is I think we should be somewhere in between, We should pray for guidance. We really should. But when we aren't sure what the Lord is saying, we can trust Scripture. We can trust Scripture to guide us. And then there's also all sorts of decisions you can just make, and God is okay with that. And you can make it based on Scripture and based on these different things. But I think that when Jesus wanted guidance, he prayed and asked for guidance. And I just wonder why... We've made it too weird. We're like, oh, there's people that never do anything, so I'm not going to pray for guidance. And then there's kind of the other camp that says, I only will read the Proverbs to make my decisions. When I really do think the Holy Spirit sometimes speaks to our specific situations. I'm not going to find a proverb that says which job I should take. Now, there might be some principles there that help me. But I do think sometimes the Lord speaks that way. I think, for me, where this comes up for guidance a lot is I'll often, I'll stop and I'll say, like, something will happen to me in my life, or I'll have some kind of interaction with somebody in my life, and it will, I'm pretty sensitive, so I'll think it's rude, or I'll be bothered by something they said, and it'll be frustrating me internally, and I'll go to God and I'll say, God, help me. How should I treat this person? How should I react to this? What should I do? Now, there's scriptural tenets that show me some things I can do, and I've followed those before. But sometimes when I pray those prayers, God gives me, I, I really think he, he leads me into deeper insight into the situation. Sometimes he just is like, hey, this is because you're sensitive. And I'm like, oh, why is it always that one? And, or sometimes it's because, or sometimes God just brings a scripture to my mind. Like, love your neighbor as yourself. I'd be like, well, maybe I need to be a little bit more empathetic and understand where they're coming from and why they said that or did that. Or sometimes I don't hear from the Lord, and, I, and, I, and, and Scripture is sufficient, and I can rest in that. Or sometimes the Lord leads me to say something very specific to them. 
And I've just found as I pray more and more for guidance in these sorts of situations through my life, I begin to hear the Lord more clearly. It's not an audible voice. He speaks to me in unique ways, and I think he speaks to you guys in unique ways, and so I don't want to get into that. That's like another whole sermon. But I think if Jesus, if we see Jesus praying for guidance when he wanted it, then we should pray for guidance when we want or need it. All right, so that was the, that really kind of the second win to Jesus' prayers. The, the third win to Jesus' prayers was Jesus would pray when responding to what the Father and the Spirit were doing in the world. Jesus would pray in response to that. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse 17. Jesus just sent out 72 people, and he said, hey, go live out in this world, do what I do, heal people, cast out demons, do my thing in this world. And they come back giving Jesus a report, and it says this in verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And then in verse 21, we see Jesus responding in prayer. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Right? They come back responding, saying, Jesus, we did what you did. And Jesus' response to them is not, yeah, I know. That's why I sent you out there. His response was, God, Father, thank you for doing this. Thank you for your plan and how it's unfolding. And I don't think it's any mistake. Luke also mentions Jesus praying after healing a leper, after healing a man's hand, and after feeding the 5,000, before he had kind of this solitude prayer, he had this moment of prayer where the disciples and others saw him. And so Jesus prayed in response to what the Father and the Spirit were doing. And I think we need to have eyes to look for where God is moving. We need to have eyes to see where God is working, and we need to stop in those moments and pray and praise God through our prayers and thank him for his his way. Uh, When I first started coming to Redemption, when I first started being involved in, in staff meetings, there was something to me, it was unique to me, maybe other churches do this, but they do this thing called God stories. And almost all the staff meetings I've been part of at Re- here or other redemptions or redemption as a whole has this moment for God stories. And essentially it's a moment where we just say, hey, w- what's God doing? Where's God moving? Where's God working in our world. And, and Pastor Tyler over at Redemption Gilbert, he says, it can be as small as you prayed to find your keys and God help you find them. Or it can be as big as something that just seems truly miraculous. And so we spend this time intentionally looking for where God is moving and talking about it with one another so that our hearts would be stirred to praise. So, so that we would give the proper glory to God where it's due. And I just wonder if we are like that in our personal lives and in our church as a whole. Do we look for where God is moving and pr- when we see it, praise and thank him for it? 
I think for me, a lot of times this is hard because a, a lot of times I just convince myself whatever I prayed for, if God answers a prayer or moves in a certain way, I, I convince myself, well, that wasn't God. That, just, that would have just happened. It was just coincidence. But I just think it's strange because I spend a lot of my life wanting things to happen and then they don't happen. And then I spend some parts of my life praying for God to move in certain ways and then, I, then that happens. I don't think it's always coincidence. I think God is interacting with us. I think God is moving. And I want our church, I want us as a people to have eyes to see that. And when we have the eyes to see where God is moving, to stop and say, God, praise your name. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for giving me the eyes to see this in that moment. Jesus prayed in response to God I think we should, too. The final way to answer the question, when did Jesus pray, is I, I see Jesus praying when he needs refuge. I see Jesus praying when he needs refuge. Look at Matthew 14.10 with me. This tells the story of when Herod beheads and kills John the Baptist. And it says this in verse 10. He, this is Herod, sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And then the story that follows is Jesus feeds the 5,000. These, uh, these 5,000 people that followed him into this, or to this desolate place. But in verse 23 of chapter 14, the crowds are gone, and we see why Jesus went to this desolate place. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Jesus finds out that I think one of his best friends, we know they were relatives of some sort, possibly cousins. So John the Baptist, who Jesus loves deeply, he finds out he's dead. Jesus is feeling the pain of this world. He's experiencing the sinfulness of man. And he says, I need refuge. I need to spend time with my Father in the Spirit. I need, I need to spend time praying to where he got on a boat and he went out into the wilderness and even people followed him and even after they were gone and God had moved in amazing ways, he said, I need to stop and I need to pray because I'm hurting. Because John is dead. Again, notice the humility in Jesus' life. by being willing to experience that sort of life. And so when Jesus needed refuge from the world, he found it in praying to his Father. He found it in praying to his Father. And my question for us is just this. When we need refuge from the world, what do we do? What do we do? Do we go out and pray? 
Or do we just rail and get mad and complain to the people around us and yell out into the void of the world? Or do we look for things to make us feel better or to find our refuge in? Do we look to things like food? I'm speaking a little too personally there. To find refuge in. Or do we look to our Father who is in heaven for refuge? Because listen, I think God does want to use different sorts of things to help us find healing and refuge. But I think that in the end, ultimately, our Father in heaven is the only true and lasting refuge that we can find. So when we're hurting, do we cry out to God? Or do we cry out to something else that we're treating like God? God doesn't want us to be numb to the pains of this world. When we see that, that Jesus himself wasn't numb to the pains of this world, he was very much moved by the pains of this world, and it pushed him into the arms of his father. I think a lot of times we need to be like kids running into our dad's arms when it comes to prayer. We should find refuge. We should look for refuge when we pray. I noticed something else. That as I was looking at Jesus' prayers and when he prayed, and it was around this idea of Jesus finding refuge. I noticed that any time that Jesus seemed to mention or teach on or talk about his death, very often it was followed up with prayer. Very often it was followed up with prayer. Look at a few places with me. Luke chapter 9, 21 through 23. Jesus is saying this. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, the next few verses, he keeps teaching some things. And then in verse 28, again, I don't think this is any mistake that Luke put this there. Right after he taught on these things, it says, Eight days after teaching these sayings, he went on a mountain to pray. And I just, I wonder if in that instance... Jesus is just thinking about his death and what is about to come, and he's saying, I need to go pray. I need refuge. Now, maybe you think he wasn't praying for refuge there. What we begin to see in John chapter 12 is right before the Passover, he begins to, to need refuge when thinking about his death. In verse 24 of John chapter 12, he notes how the kingdom is going to come through a seed dying. And then in verse 27, he's obviously, if, if that's not clear, in verse 24, he's obviously referring to himself dying. In verse 27, though, he breaks out into prayer. He says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Jesus, as he's thinking about his death, as he's teaching on his death, now his prayers are public. He, doesn't, he can't, because of the sort of, of, of anguish that he's feeling, he, he begins to pray out loud as he's teaching people, and God does this miraculous thing where he does speak audibly to Jesus and everyone there. 
And what we begin to see is Jesus, as he gets closer and closer to the cross and closer and closer to the hour where he is going to be killed, he prays more intimately for refuge in his Father. Look what happens in Matthew 26. When Jesus in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, close to where he would be killed, verse 36 says this, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus, as he gets closer and closer to the cross, he's reminded more and more of his soon coming death, and he wants to find refuge in the arms of his father. And we see this desperate prayer in Matthew 26, and I think this is what, what is happening I think Jesus is so desperate. I think Jesus is in such anguish because he knows there's a moment coming where he will cry out for refuge, but he will not get it. So that you and I, when we cry out for refuge, we will get it. Look what, he, what happens to Jesus on the cross in Matthew 27, verse 26. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabbatikahani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, taking on the punishment for humanity, being the truly only good human out there, being our Passover lamb, is experiencing the wrath of God towards sin, and he is not going to get refuge from it. Because we get refuge from what he did. So Jesus, in his prayers, he prayed for refuge. He, showed, he modeled for us what that looked like. But there was even a moment when Jesus prayed for refuge and he did not get it so that you and I in our prayer life could get refuge. Jesus, in his resurrection, he shows us one day what, what, that the ultimate sort of refuge that we will get. But because Jesus resurrected in the middle of history, also what we get is we, we get to see that we get a taste of God's kingdom here and now before it is fully realized. And so I truly believe that because of the good news of what Jesus did, we get refuge in our prayers. We can have a relationship with God, one in which where we pray for refuge and we will find it in him. Our prayer life is very much a living out of the gospel. This is what I mean. Jesus made it possible for us to be in relationship with God. Jesus is the restorer of all things, and he did it through living a perfect life, dying to death on the cross, and raising from the dead. And because of that, we get to pray. 
We get to talk to God. We get to be in relationship with God. Because of the good news of the gospel, we can take intentional times to be with the Lord, and it is a real relationship. We can ask the Lord for guidance in our lives because we have a true relationship with God. We can see where God is moving and respond to it in praise and thankfulness. And finally, when we're feeling the pains of this world, the sorrows of this world, when we are sinned against, when our own sin causes us to get into a mess, we can find refuge in our Father in heaven. Because of the gospel, because of what Jesus did. So friends, I want us to have a deeper prayer life because we we have a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done. I don't want us to just have a deeper prayer life just because I say, hey, this is the best way to do things. Although I do think that's the case, but only because Jesus is restoring us and restoring all things. So friends, let's look to the winds of Jesus' prayers. When we ask that question, when did Jesus pray? Let's let it form us. Let's let it push us into deeper moments and intimacies of prayer with God. Let's be a people that praise and reflect the winds of Jesus' prayers. Let's pray, church. God, thank you for your son. God, thank you for showing us who you are. This idea of the word being made flesh is is so astounding, God. It's so incredible. It's almost, it's almost like not believable, God, because it's almost beyond what our human minds can comprehend. But God, thank you for showing us who you are. And then thank you, God, in your mercy and grace, you actually show us who we were created to be. Who, who, how we are supposed to live, and you even did it in your prayer life, Jesus. So Jesus, form us. Help us to look to the wind of when you pray, Jesus, and let it form our hearts. Let it invite our hearts into a deeper relationship with you. God, forgive us where we have forgotten the gospel, where, we have, where we've forgotten how good we have it being in you. And God, in your mercy, would you move in our prayer lives? Would you make our prayer lives more tangible? Would you make our prayer lives more full of your presence? Would you give us ears to hear you however you speak to us? Would you give us eyes to see where you're moving so we can respond and give you glory? God, we need you. Help us to live out the gospel by having this sort of prayer life. Again, God, let it be an act of worship and praise for us, not an act of duty necessarily. God, we love you and we need you. Amen.